Welcome to What the Fun Podcast with Kimmy, Kisa, and Renee. Glad you can join us as we explore all aspects of entertainment and current events with industry professionals, friends, and us. Welcome. Well, friends, here we are, episode 21. And yeah, um, yeah we, we are... We are doing it again here. Uh, <laughs> I can't stop laughing at Renee's hair. Friends, right now, you know, we're currently on Zoom right now looking at each other. And, um, you know, we all got our haircuts. And like we shared last uh, last episode, our cubicle chat, we shared that we got our haircuts, uh, Kisa and I. And Renee got her haircut last week. <laughs> she still has producted her hair and um it's she, just, she just woke up and it's like she stuck her finger in an electrical socket and her <laughs> hair just went poof <laughs> i mean the perfect caption is like renee no don't <laughs> <laughs> oh be my sure goodness. to uh, check out our instagram for that picture yes <laughs> indeed <laughs> it's the uh, post-pandemic Trend. I'm starting a new one. We'll love it. This Everyone is what happens it. as you reintegrate into society after you've mm-hmm. been in your house for over a year. <laughs> <laughs> you look like Renee right now. <laughs> I just can't picture, wait. I just picture Renee opening the door and like the sun is so bright. And so she's like, my eyes, my eyes. And she's like rubbing it and then she walks out. Oh, man. <laughs> Thank God I have all this time to get used to the idea. But yeah. <laughs> anyway. Oh Welcome my. to episode 21. <laughs> oh, the weekend is finally here. Uh, anyone got any plans this weekend? I'm starting my birthday week. So I have, my friends are taking me to a Malibu farm where Ooh. there's goats and tea. So I'm nice. going to be playing with the goats and the tea. It's starting my Yay! birthday week. Yeah. Today is your birthday. Happy birthday to you. That's all I know. And the perfect hairstyle. Yay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to spend this weekend with my little nieces and nephew. It's playtime with Auntie Kimmy. And since they haven't seen me in a while, I am prepared to play dolls and and um, race cars, or actually cars, Pixar's cars with my nephew. He loves that. But my nieces, they've got quite the imagination because they love to, you know, just play pretend like every little kid does. I mean, when okay. I was a kid, I used to play pretend all the time. And um, especially with my Barbies, I would do like a full on like telenovela in a way. A lot yes. of drama, <laughs> a lot of drama with my Barbies. <laughs> And it was always the one with the brunette hair that would always stir the pot. And I named her Bianca, Um, (laughs) which the name is fitting. But like just trying to create that wedding dress out of toilet paper and um, socks and um, paper towel. That was like my way of trying to like make things for my dolls because my mom didn't believe in buying, you know, Barbie doll clothes because it was too much money. And so I had to like make do with what we had at home and create my own and even use like a what do you call that thing where you put the thread on and it looks like a little um a spool is that what it's called a spool yeah 
Yeah, well, once all the thread was gone, I made that into like a bar top table. Yes. Yes. And, you know, you just had to like create things with what you had. And I, yeah, I even made um, a couch out of like soap bars. And then I just like <laughs> threw like a fabric on top and just kind of like shaped it to look like a couch, you know, but to create my own little scenery for my little telenovela because Bianca... <laughs> Bianca always stirred the pot. So always stirred the pot. Now, question: Did you? Um, okay, so was that your thing? Like you, you liked playing with your dolls and creating these little worlds, oh, or heck yeah. were there other things that you like like to do as well? Well, Barbies was just always my jam, and yeah. I think that I was, you know, I always enjoyed creating little scenes like if they were going to be like at the garden or if they were going to be like at some formal party you mm-hmm. know I think I had a lot of fun rummaging through stuff around the house to try to create certain things you know to cr- build my little scene <laughs> I love it that's exactly what I did too I would love like putting finding like shoe boxes yeah, you turn over the shoebox and it'd become the bed mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. And yeah, and the spools, like my, my grandmother was a seamstress, so she had like thread spools everywhere. So I would use those too and stack them yes. up and create different things. <laughs> and then I really loved like taking out my dolls and uh-huh. then I would dress them. And sometimes I would create like my, again, my grandmother was a seamstress, so she would make the little dresses for me. Cause uh-huh. again, I was, my mom was like yours. She was like, I ain't paying for that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. And I was like, all right. And then I would just make them out of like leftover fabrics or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. But I love that. And then I would put them away. But it was yeah. more of like taking them out, getting them all dressed up, lining mm-hmm. them up, creating this like little house. And then I was like, okay, I'm bored. Now I put everything back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or, and then the other thing I like to do is like, okay, so my neighbor, she would build fortresses out of um, wood. And what are those? Like crates? Mm-hmm. Like where the 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 baskets where the milk came for, came in as yeah, well, yeah, like yeah milk crates, like yeah. So milk crates and stuff like that. She would build these like little fortresses, and I I would just go, well, I don't have any of that. So then I would just invent like my backyard. I would like divide like draw lines on the on the ground and be like, <laughs> this is the living room, <laughs> this is the kitchen, <laughs> this is the bedroom. Oh my gosh. All about the imagination. Seriously, as a kid. Yeah. And then I love playing with my nieces and nephews too. My nephew, he loves, like, I remember him being a kid and just wanting to hit pots. Like, he would just take out all the pots from the cabinets in the kitchen (laughs) Uh and just, like, bang them. And then it was like, is is that what we're doing? This is what we're doing? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Oh, what about you, Kisa? I mean, I feel like I had like dolls and and whatnot growing up, but I never like created a whole like life for them. I don't think <laughs> you had no Bianca in your life. I had no Bianca. I was like always doing like extracurricular activities. Like I did dance when I was little. I did gymnastics. I did all track I hate running I did track for like one season I hate it so much <laughs> I did <laughs> I played basketball for a couple of seasons I did martial arts I did that for a really long time so that took a lot of my time and then I got into theater in high school so I, there was like there was like no playing 
with dolls when I was a kid, so that was busy. <laughs> <laughs> so your parents were like soccer parents. They like they went to work, picked you up, took you to the next thing, and then you yeah. got home and like did your yeah. homework like an hour before going to bed. <laughs> yeah, my mom when I when my sister and I could drive ourselves, she was like, "Thank God, because I'm tired of driving <laughs> you guys. You're too you have too much to do." Because I remember like when I was in high school. I would um, obviously be in school, get out of school at like three o'clock, drive myself to dance class, get done with dance class at like five. Then I was doing a community theater show. And so I would go from dance class to my community theater show because I was on the crew. And then I would get home at like 9 p.m. and do my homework and go to sleep. And then just that's that was my life. She was such a well-disciplined, structured child. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, and here I, I was trying to figure out how to get to the mall. It was no too ride, much. no car. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I know. I'm still exhausted. That's how many years later? <laughs> I'm still tired from that. <laughs> I mean, like, I wanted to do extracurricular activities, and I've shared this before. My parents are like, no, that's not for you. But, like, I enjoy playing. So, <laughs> listening to your schedule, yep. I'm like, I think I had fun. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even think, like, my sister and I, like, we had, like, toys for sure, and we would play with each other. But I, like, do not remember us ever, like, putting together, like, a tea party situation or creating different lives for our dolls we were also tomboys so we would be like mm. let's just like cut off all of their hair we do that to our <laughs> dolls all the time <laughs> i did do that with mine i think that's why my mom stopped getting us dolls because we would just do that yeah i would have done that too <laughs> we would just be like we're not really like playing with them <laughs> I guess as they're intended to be played with. You're like, we're destroying them. <laughs> she would be like, I'm not doing that. That's a, and dolls are expensive. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're they very are. expensive. Now I'm like, you want how much for that doll? No, thank mm -hmm. you. <laughs> Each of my Barbies cost me an A or a B in class. Like, I'd have to get that as my grade. And then they ponder the thought of giving me a Barbie. Oh. <laughs> like, so I would have to get that A or that B. Otherwise, there was no Barbie coming my way. I had only one Barbie doll. and Well, no, actually two because I cut the f first one's hair and my mom got mad. And then someone gifted me a Barbie doll. But I wanted more Barbies because I had to make friends, right? You know, create mm -hmm. those friends for Bianca and all that. And so I ended up... I, ended up getting like those cheap Barbie dolls that you get like at the grocery store like mm -hmm. the plastic ones with the big to, head with a big head <laughs> thinning hair I mean thinning hair she didn't look right but it worked it, it worked, worked. <laughs> well this is great because our, our our guest today she's someone who you know started playing and she continues to play and create little worlds. And now she's creating big worlds for television and film and theater. And she's pretty badass. And I'm really excited to, to have her on the show and have our audience get to know her better. 
Yeah. So joining us today is a fierce freelance art director and production designer with a decade of experience in the arts and entertainment industry. Her work ranges from film, television, branded content, commercials, live events, museums, theater, and the performing arts. She prides herself on her dedication to the craft, as well as to the overall success of every project she's associated with. And let me tell you, she is quite the powerhouse in the production design business and a fierce woman that has proven anything is possible if you believe in yourself. So without further ado, please welcome to the show, Madeline Malloy. Yay! Yay! Hey, everybody. <laughs> welcome to the show, Madeline. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, it's great. I mean, it's a small world, isn't it? I was looking at your at your reel of stuff, and I'm like, oh, she works. She's done Disney stuff, Disney Studio stuff, and I'm like, great. It can't run away from that. No, <laughs> yeah, the the mouse is everywhere. It's amazing. I I never expected, honestly, that I would get so close to working so intimately with with several different types of Disney projects, and uh, it's amazing. I mean, their scope is everywhere. You obviously know that from working in the parks and seeing how that world goes. And I can't even imagine the kind of amazing machine that runs to make Disneyland uh, operate. But uh, from my perspective of it, it's amazing to learn, you know, what they what they want to see what they think they want to see it's it's been a really amazing education and like the biggest basically the biggest corporation in the world yeah 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 we can attest to that (laughs) (laughs) uh it works in wondrous ways anyway uh let's go ahead and and get to know you a little bit more where did what do you do specifically how would you define what you do and how did it how did you get started I, I got started, well, I mean, my, my original uh, introduction to working in any type of live entertainment was was professional theater, actually. And um, I, I used my sort of foot in the door with a regional theater in New York um, to work my way through literally every role in the theater, from stagehand all the way up to production manager, mm-hmm. and doing design roles and logistic roles and just learning all of that. So getting, sort of cutting my teeth in, in a realm, which was deeply inspiring, and uh, realizing as I did, you know, started taking on more clients and doing more things, uh, becoming a professional scenic painter, doing prop master work, uh, coordination, that all these things were kind of coalescing into, into stuff that I really enjoyed. But unfortunately, you know, with professional theater, it's really hard to make a living uh, without it being intense amounts of work uh, spread out all over the place. And mm-hmm. as you know, in New York, too, I mean, it's a vibrant theater scene, but it, unless you're sort of IATSE on the big stages, you, you really are pushing. So when I made the transition to moving to Los Angeles, I came in and just was very hungry and took anything that came my way. Um, and initially when I came out here, the first two jobs that I got were both, uh, theater based. So I did, um, carry the, um, the, the, oh, carry the, <laughs> carry, the, carry, the musical? Well, carry the, the killer musical experience at the Los Angeles theater. And then I also did the industry's mobile opera called um, Hopscotch as an ASM. So I got myself kind of enmeshed in that, which was really inspiring. And then I got an opportunity very quickly moving to Los Angeles within probably a month of getting my foot into uh, a prop master role on a TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was very unprepared for the transition of what it meant to do prop master work in theater versus television. I just had no idea and not knowing the city and, it's a really interesting learning curve. Um, but then to just keep pushing, keep taking the work, any opportunity that came my way. And, and to be honest, the first three years of that was, was really grueling. Um, but I was given some community resources that I connected to some people who 
saw something in me that allowed me to take on bigger projects and more challenging things. And slowly that allowed me to do design work, which uh, has been a profound adjustment uh, to get to think about world building and think about the ways that you want to present something that like, as an example, working with Disney princess all the time, uh, what does it mean to take an IP that is known so well, but -hmm. put your own spin on it to, to make it your own. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's a pretty beautiful opportunity and I'm very thankful for it. That's awesome. So, okay. First of all, we have to acknowledge (laughs) that you worked on Carrie the musical. Yes. (laughs) I didn't get a chance to see it, but I had friends that saw it like three, four five times because they thought it was so amazing. I also had lots of friends that were in the cast and everybody just talks about it like it was like this amazing experience. So the fact that you were a part of that show is really, really, really cool. And I'm so bummed I didn't get a chance to see it because I've only heard amazing things about it. So props to you. That show was awesome. And I also acknowledge the fact that you moved out here from New York, which the New York and LA scenes are very different. And so I think that's that's really cool that you were able to make that adjustment and, and able to work on some really amazing projects. How how was that transition going from, you said it was kind of rocky going from uh, theater to film. How, was, how would you describe that for you? Well, I think, and especially I think all of you understand this as well with working with performers intimately, um, you know, in a theater atmosphere, you're, you know, especially making props as an example, which was like my main bread and butter for a long time was, you know, you, you connect with an actor, you read these scripts, you have to make objects that last for a long run of a show. And you want to work with these people so that they feel like really connected to these objects. It's, it's, it can be kind of spiritual, you know, and I think you meet certain actors who find the one thing that defines their character. It's, it's, it can be pretty profound. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because then you move into a theater and from theater to a, a film environment and you're making things that need to last for a shot for 20 minutes for mm-hmm. a day. Um, and the adjustment there is really interesting and it has to just look good on three sides. And, you know, the backside can be ruined. You don't, don't you will never see it. And, <laughs> and learning the adjustments of what it means to work within a different set of parameters, you know, you don't get the 30 foot rule. You are mm-hmm. right up front and very close to everything. And especially now that cameras are shooting in 4k. And I mean, there, I think cameras get up to 12k now. It's mm-hmm. wild. Like the detail that you're, you're seeing in real time. So it means that when you're working on lower budget projects, there's an even higher expectation. Um, and that doesn't, you know, maybe translate to the budgets or the resourcing or the, uh, the expectation is, is always there. So, you know, it's a huge learning curve, but I've, I've definitely found, especially getting to do more design work because prop mastering, in the TV and film industry requires such a attention to detail. You're a mercenary. You are like one of the most important departments ever. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't think people really give it the the due that it deserves, but moving <laughs> into design and, and also in art direction too, it's so fun for me to be given a, a really challenging problem and try to make it as manageable as possible with the resources provided while respecting the team and bringing it to the finish line. And, you know, you really do have to put yourself on the line in ways that you didn't expect. Um, and it's, you know, sort of forged in fire, but I think that, uh, you know, the, I guess the phrase of sort of diamonds are, are, are built under pressure. Uh, you really get a lot with, with the stress of this industry 
And although it can be really, really hard, no, no qualms to say that <laughs> truthfully, um, it's, it's also deeply inspiring and it's a really amazing opportunity to get to see how something that all of us interact with daily media that, you know, that closely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. You know, what I want to know, what I want to understand is like the hustle of your business as a production designer and art director, as a fierce woman in that industry, what is that business really like? You know, I, that's an interesting question. I think it's, I've had to learn and relearn the rules each time. Um, and especially being, you know, I, I moved to Los Angeles at, at 27 and, uh, and, you know, there's also this sort of like Saturn return end of your twenties adjustment that has to happen where you finding your own personal ownership and, and self-connection. And then also to be putting yourself on the line, which is very vulnerable and then to be standing up to a male environment. I mean, the entertainment industry is a very male space. And, you know, if you're working on a set, you're lucky to have a few women on the crew. And then we step into a diversity conversation, which is a whole nother ballpark. But um, things that I've learned, I think initially, I'll be honest. So there was a point when I first got here, uh, I worked for about six months aggressively freelancing, and it was just so hard. And so Mm -hmm. I found a company that needed a production coordinator called Ecoset. And they were a sustainability company, but focusing for the entertainment industry, dealing with waste disposal and redistribution of assets for large companies like Target and Netflix and Lowe's, where we were dealing with with more of a sustainability aspect. But what that taught me was, you know, I walked in very green and ended up having to run both large crews of exclusively men and bring them into union spaces, which is even more male. So Mm -hmm. there was me as this young woman having to navigate these giant spaces with these giant challenges and, you know, dealing with the energy of IATSE union members and teamsters and production managers of big companies where they're like, they don't want you anywhere near what you're doing because you're just sort of in their way. So finding a way to like hold space and empower yourself. And so now I've sort of taken those, those rules that I've instilled about like what I'm bringing to the table and knowing kind of deeply that I come correct. So Mm -hmm. now I can work with male producers where I'm not afraid of them. And I think mm-hmm. that really does show, and I know it sounds kind of unfortunate that you'd have to, you know, that fear would have to be an aspect there, but I do talk to a lot of my female colleagues and so many of them are just sort of dancing around men who are, are so in need of being right and are so afraid of women in power. And, and I think that obviously crosses all sorts of networks, but uh, especially here, I just, you know, the best men that I work with, and I say it in a male and female way, but it really is just more like who's in power and who's not, mm-hmm. which unfortunately mm-hmm. is mostly male. But, you know, it's the, the best leaders empower you regardless of your background, your gender. It's, you know, really good professionals see other really good professionals and, 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 and vibe off of that. And I, mm-hmm. I'm, I tr- I'm trying to trust more and more that energy exchange, you know, mm-hmm. trust, finding mm-hmm. trust in people when, I, when you see it and feel it. Yeah, I think that's really important because as you've pointed out, and I know that we've said it on our podcast multiple times, you know, this industry is tough and it yeah. it already asks so much of you and your time and your personal energy and your physical energy that you have to respect, you have to protect yourself from people that are going to to take energy from you. And if you can do anything to make sure that you are conserving your energy and then putting it out into the right places, that's going to help you. That's going to push you through tough situations. And so I think you hit on all sorts of great things. And so 
I like you. I like I you, Maddie. <laughs> she is a spitfire. One to not be, you know, messed with. I love it. You go, girl. <laughs> Thank you. On the flip side, you as as the leader, how do you see yourself? I mean, because do you work solely alone? I know that you work with, with other teams and creating your world, but do you have a team under you or do you do that mostly on your own or how does that work and how do you relate as a leader if you do work with others? You know, I think um, I work with my friends often and I think that is a really interesting education in like where you have to hold space for like, no, I'm the boss. And also where you realize like you have to show an amazing amount of empathy in any work environment. Uh, You know, uh, we joke about it a lot, but a lot of my job is just vibe management. It really mm-hmm. is just making sure that everybody is accounted for and empowered and supported. And, you know, and, but in the same way, I'm, I'm always trying to learn a better way to behave myself. And, mm-hmm. and I, my biggest goal is to like impress myself and I, I hold myself at like a pretty high standard. So my work is also kept at that same high standard. And, you know, especially as someone who started in fine arts and started in a place where my work was deeply personal and deeply emotional mm-hmm. as like a painter and a maker, uh, to move that into a place where you're, you're really having to kind of put your guts out on the table each time. And it's, it can, you know, you can find yourself bucking at this, uh, like criticism or adjustments that people will give you. But again, it's like removing your ego from it and wanting to just do the best. So in some ways it's like a spiritual practice to just mm-hmm. absorb these things and, and move forward and do better and do better and do better. But there is also this level too of like being kind to yourself and pulling back. Um, I think I do a lot of work. Like my initial work is mostly done alone. I, it's amazing when I get to have a team in the beginning. And I only say that when I'm like designing or presenting something to a client, then of course I bring in a team where we're like a, a, an amazing collection of people that all have a very specific role. But there is a point where you are just like kind of alone in a room with your, you know, design software or a sketch pad or whatever it is. Um, and, and just trying to like, really like, you know, dive into what interests you in, in a creative mm-hmm. space. And I'm, I'm really just trying to learn as much as possible. Yeah. When you were like, say when you were a kid, mm-hmm. did you ever imagine yourself doing something creative like this? Like, were you always interested in the arts? Have You mentioned that you used to paint or you come from that kind of background, but was that always part of your upbringing when you were younger? I would say yes. I think that's something that I'm holding truer more and more is that I'm an artist and I've always been an artist. The place that I put my energy is almost irrelevant as much as it is just like it, where I'm funneling it. You know, I think I could probably get as much satisfaction out of eventually moving back into, you know, what is it? Maybe I'm teaching uh, theater or maybe I'm running a small business where there's a creative element to it. Like my artistic endeavors can touch many things. It's also why I've tried to stay so diverse. Like mm-hmm. I don't just work in one field. Like if I'm not doing branded content for these companies, then I might be producing a live event. I might be doing a music festival. I might be doing an immersive theater experience. I try to keep myself really diverse. Um, so I'm not, I mean, and happily, I'm not surprised that I've gotten to this point um, because it's always been something that I've been deeply interested in and always wanted to do. I think I've touched on so many things as I was growing up, meaning like I 
you know, I thought I would do, be a fashion designer. Then I thought I'd be a costume designer. Then I thought I would be a prop maker. Then I thought I would be, you know, uh, I'd run my own fashion merchandising business. Then I, you know, was a fine artist. And then I expanded on that fine art. And I worked in, as a museum preparator and, and did uh, installations in, in museums all over New York and just trying all these different things in an effort to find like what is the mostly most deep inspiration I could get to. And like right now, these opportunities have been great. I really only hope to go deeper and mm-hmm. only hope to get to explore more profound things. Cause it is fun doing like psychedelic kids content. I will never <laughs> say no, but I would love to get the opportunity to like live in a world like a long form television show or, or feature films mm-hmm. where there's a lot of meat to chew on. Um, you know, I'm just, again, so thankful. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm just really interested because, okay, now I'm taking it on a personal level because I've always been that person. Like I've always called myself the jack of all trades, master of none, because when I was doing theater, I wanted to do everything. Like I wanted to do the costuming. I wanted to run the stage. I wanted to be in the play. I wanted to do the whole thing. Like if I could be the one woman show, I would have done it, but you can't, you can't split yourself that way. But even as a kid, I liked, you know, I played with my Barbies, but I, I wouldn't, play with them. I would dress them and create little worlds for them. And then I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to be a fashion designer. Went to fashion school, hated it, moved on, you know what I mean? (laughs) And, but I always felt, um, like imposter syndrome, you know, and you kind of mentioned not that you had imposter syndrome, but like you found your creative outlet and you knew, and you found that that is just who you are. And that's, you know, how long did it take you to get to to come to terms with that? Or was there ever a doubt? Like, did you ever suffer from imposter syndrome? I mean, a hundred percent. I still yeah. suffer from it all the time. I think I almost need to say, and, and the reason I say like, I'm an artist through and through, I will always be an artist is mm-hmm. something that I just know, like as an inherent part of my being. That being said, me walking into new spaces with new clients and new situations and working with, you know, bigger budgets or, or, more aggressive timelines or, or whatever, anything that is hyper-challenging, of course, there's a point where I'm like, you let me come in the room? Like, <laughs> that's nuts. You know, I, I think, and it's, especially also as a female too, like there are spaces where you walk in and you're like, I also need to perform this way as like a woman as well as mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't be too domineering. I shouldn't be too butch. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be too this. I shouldn't be too that. And there's so much, you just do so many mental gymnastics around that. But I think I'm trying, especially with the pandemic and having some time to like really sit with my thoughts and sit with what I find to be important and what I find to be my core beliefs that like, I have to show more empathy to myself as much as I show to other people. And, Mm -hmm. um, just really hope that as I like continue walking forward with gratitude and without, uh, sort of removing the ego as much as I can, that the imposter syndrome stuff will go away. And it's more of like a fear of the challenge, not a fear of if I can or cannot do it. Yeah. Yeah. Now with all of that, I mean, considering that you've been working this whole, pretty much the whole time, you've had some downtime, but you've been working and, and it's nonstop. We know what entertainment business is like. You don't really sleep. You have long hours. Um, you're giving your all because it's a representation of you. Your art is you. Uh, how do you keep yourself healthy? How do you keep yourself sane? <laughs> how do you keep yourself balanced within all of the crazy that is the entertainment field? Well, you know, I think it's interesting. The pandemic for me really lined up with a kind of a, for lack of a better term, sort of a come to Jesus moment for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, right before 
the end of March, which is like, again, when I went into quarantine, I was running three jobs at once. I was running a giant job that I'm under heavy NDAs I like cannot talk about. And then two other ones, which was the first season of the uh, DC Kids Batman channel and the Disney Pixar's car channel. And those were all happening at once. So I'm, you know, myself as an individual, I'm employing three different teams with three different uh, timelines, high expectations, varying budgets, stressful on a level that I cannot describe. And I pushed myself really hard and I was hitting a very high vibration, which I was very proud of myself. But in the same vein, I really, really pushed myself to the limit of like my sanity, my health, my, my, my life essentially did not matter for the greater good of these projects. So when I went into quarantine, it took obviously some adjustment because at first I was using that same level of tension and management that I like put in my personal life or in my work life into my personal life. So, you know, I reorganized my whole apartment and I repainted all the walls and I did all the stuff that was really important. But as I started like letting my nervous system relax, I started realizing like, I have some things I really need to adjust in my life. So I actually chose to pivot, um, in my health and wellness field, like really aggressively. And I, I changed my diet. I actually lost 30 pounds in quarantine because I was so focused on trying to just like, and not in a self-abuse way, but in a much more of a like recentering way. Mm-hmm. I also took on uh, therapy, weekly therapy. And I've been seeing a therapist and using the opportunity to like give myself back all the energy that I'd kind of fed back out. And I also started doing yoga like three times a week with a close friend of mine over Zoom and just finding ways to get outside, to participate in things that I love, to like find my home and make it a nest and 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 kind of reconnect with myself. Because I think I pushed myself so hard from coming into the city and wanting to like really get to something that I really, I wasn't in the equation. So now my new challenge as you know, the pandemic is thankfully coming to a, you know, a lesser stress level and work is picking up, but with, you know, with better resource, like I have to maintain that same level of self-care that I found in quarantine into these environments. And that might mean that I have to take a five minute meditation break Mm -hmm. in the middle of a work day. So I don't bring extra added stress or now that my eyes are a bit more opened as to like what I think I deserve in treatment. You know, if I get disrespected in a work environment, I can't just like fly off the handle or I can't just like, you know, stomp on people in a workspace. I have to like pull back, think about it, come correct. And so there's just been a lot of really interesting like personal adjustments in that, which I'm again, like so thankful for. Cause if I had kind of been running at the same steam I was at the, before the pandemic and, and just kept it with that energy, I might be really successful, but I also might be in the hospital, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. Right. For me personally, the, the pandemic has been a blessing in disguise, I guess. I mean, there's been horrible things that have happened, but at the same time, like personally, I've felt that I have had that time to reconnect with who I am, my interests and finding those creative outlets because I didn't have that, you know, at work, it just became all about work, work, work and, you know, doing whatever it was that was in front of me. And then I would, and I was forgetting like why, the why's behind it. Like, why am I doing this? What is important to me? And, um, and then just, those creative outlets. Cause again, like you said, being a creative person, you kind of need that. You need that in order to, to function, you know, and you also need your yoga and you need your five minutes of meditation and sitting outside with some sun, <laughs> all things that I'm hopeful I do not lose when I return to work. But yeah, it's very important. Very, very important. Um, yeah. Have there been self-care things that all of you have discovered in this space? I mean, you know, it's been stressful for everybody, but I'm sure that each person has found some little core thing that has been mm-hmm. able to kind of hold on to. I'm curious if 
if any of you have something like that. I, I struggled for a bit finding that balance. Um, I was furloughed twice from work. And so I had some downtime when I was furloughed, stayed home for a bit and was trying to figure out what that, you know, what that was going to be for me. And the podcast was my saving grace, actually. Like these ladies kept me entertained all the time. They were also very inspiring with, you know, the activities that they were doing. And yet I was still kind of struggling <laughs> in some way. But, um, you know, I, I have kept busy at work too, going back again, furloughed and then back again. And so I'm still trying to find that and just hearing, you know, your your balance just kind of inspired me, you know, to give me some, it gave me some ideas. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really do need to find that Zen time. I, I struggle to trying to balance, you know, try to get the pod, this podcast into my routine as well. But I've got these ladies that have been just so amazing and so helpful to keep me, put me on check, keeping me honest for the most <laughs> part. So thank you, Ladybugs. And thank you, Madeline, too. Yes, thank you, Madeline. <laughs> because you are freaking amazing. Like, I'm just so <laughs> mind blown by just your awesomeness. And especially being a woman in the industry, having to deal, you know, with, <laughs> I don't mean to make this sound harsh, but like, you know, men in the industry where it's predominantly male, you know, and for you to come in there like a pit bull and handle business, <laughs> I give you a lot of respect. You know, quick question. If you could go back in time, you know, what what advice would you give your 18-year-old self? Sure. Um, gosh, it's such a, it's so funny. It's like, you know, in what way would I tailor that? Meaning like, uh, you know, which version of my 18-year-old self? But I think what I... <laughs> You know, like, is it the one who was doing good or wasn't doing good? Um, But I think uh, this, this is what I would probably say is, is don't get caught up in the negativity. Life is too short to reduce yourself or your dreams. And that, and that men don't know more than you, that your worth Mm -hmm. is not defined by them. I think I spent a lot of time thinking that like any male presence had some sort of, um, strength over my opinion or my belief, or if someone, you know, if, if I was dating someone and, and they wanted something this way, okay, we'll do that. And, you know, I think it's, if I was working with a, a male leader and, and I was, oh, well, this person is essentially my God character. I follow them to the ends of the earth. And that's not really fair or true. I mean, every person is, is a regular person with some good ideas and some bad ideas and, and to just kind of enjoy the, the muck of it all. But yeah, really, I would I would say just don't don't get caught up in in the negativity and the self hate and and stuff that keeps you from expressing your genuineness. Like all of us have something to share, and and it's important to challenge yourself to like mm-hmm. just show it, just to do that. Yeah, step into your own. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're so inspirational. I love this. Okay, I'm like inspired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really inspired. Not only because. Again, you moved from New York to LA. You made yourself a success within a month. I mean, really, like to get a gig that quickly and to just keep going from there, uh, that's something to to look up to. Not a lot of people have that success or or think, like back to what you were saying, believe that they can have that success and that you are proof that you can as long as you step into your own and, and you do the thing you love and you do it well. Um, that's great. Well, I think you would agree, right? That you, 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 you know, you meet so many wonderful people throughout your life and some of them are the most talented artists and the most inspiring people, but it really is that 
choice to push at it, to try mm-hmm. to put yourself in, on the line. Um, there's a, there's a Brene Brown quote where she says, there's no innovation and creativity without failure, period. And I yeah. think that's a really interesting way to look at it. Cause it's, it's not so much that you're, that you have to be ultra talented to be successful. It's more that you have to just try it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know so many artists who hold themselves back for all these different reasons and, you know, they're doing themselves a disservice by not trying. Yeah. Yes. Like just show up, show up. I love that. And I love what you said earlier to just like making sure that you are, you know, taking up space, you know, not trying to take somebody else's space, but, you know, finding your own and, and making sure that it is established that you deserve to be where you are. Um, you've been brought onto a project because somebody decided to hire you because you are talented, because you have the skills. And so I think that's really important. And I think it's a great thing to to call out as well as just for any of our listeners out there, even ourselves, you know, just making mm-hmm. sure that you are, you know, allowing yourself to to have a space in your workplace. Yes. So I think this pretty much brings us, I mean, you've already inspired us a lot. <laughs> yes, you have. And um, even talking to your 18-year-old self, I was like, yeah, you're talking to me. Um, I know. <laughs> Same here. I'm like, she's talking to the 43-year-old Kimmy. Kimmy, did you hear that? Did you hear did that? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? <laughs> but um, we usually like to end our um, our episodes with words of wisdom. Right, it's our super soul moment where we get to see what again, uh, what you have to impart on the audience. Those folks that would, um, you know, again, they're going to be inspired by this conversation. So, what what words of wisdom do you have to impart with them, with us? (laughs) Yeah, we want more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think I would say find joy in everything. Like mm-hmm. life is very hard and, and only through choicefulness can we make our experience the best that it can be. And putting forth extra effort into things that you're passionate about is absolutely worth it. And don't let anybody tell you differently. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's great. Well said. Well said. I just, I have a nephew. He loves to create things. He makes props. He makes swords out of cardboard. He makes anything out of cardboard. And I'm just like thinking of him right now and I'm thinking of what you just said and I'm like, yes, yes, and yes. We have to continue to feed that to them because that's life. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Madeline. (laughs) Yay. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was such a gift and I'm so happy to meet all of you. And it's again, it's so fun to see other people, especially women doing their thing and doing, you know, starting a podcast is hard and it's, it takes a lot of work and to do it well, which you are doing is, is truly awesome. Thank Aww. you. A thank lot of it is you. because of you guys, because you yeah. join our conversations <laughs> and you make it even better. So thank you. Thank yes. you so much. If you'd like to follow Madeline on social media, you can follow her on Instagram at Madeline Mates, or you can check out her website at www.madelinemalloy.com. Yes, and please be sure to subscribe to all of our podcast platforms so you can stay up to date on all of our latest shenanigans. And hey, while you're at it, go ahead and write us a quick little review letting us know what you think about the podcast. We love hearing from you. We post new episodes of What the Fun Podcast every other Friday. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone.